Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Sports Day. Been a very busy show. Thanks for your company and to all of you who have joined in. I've appreciated it, but we are not done yet. Still lots more coming up on the agenda. We'll get to Ash Brown very shortly, but we are here for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. And of course, for Maccas, if you buy a pair of silly socks for $5.95 from now until the 18th of November, that will support Ronald McDonald House Charities. Let's get to this man live in the studio. Now on Sports Day. Sport and the media with AFL Records senior writer Ash Brown. All thanks to Signet. Power every moment with a Signet power bank. Keep your devices powered this season. Visit Signet.com. All right, well, supposedly it is a quiet time of the year, but it hasn't been a quiet week. It has been, well, there's been lots happening from a sporting and from a media sense, which this man has had his eyes on. He joins me now. Ash, thanks for your time. Hello, Kane. Good to be with you again. Where do you want to start? Well, the big footy story of the week, I guess, is the the lingering Melbourne story and the great interview that um, took place at SEM Breakfast uh, with Gar- uh, with uh, Sam Edmund and Gary Lyon uh, together with Simon Goodwin and Gary Pert, which was absolutely riveting listening uh, the other morning. What, what was your take on it? Oh, I've given my take a lot. Uh, what's yours? I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was. Great radio. I didn't sort of agree, certainly agree with everything that was uh, said by the Melbourne duo. A bit of jargon, probably a bit too much jargon in there for me. But I, good of them to come on and do it, and uh, a fairly extensive interview. We don't get a lot of that really in footy now, where people just come in and bare their soul like that uh, and uh, try and clear the air anyway. So uh, it, it was a an hour or so, or forty five minutes, but it was well spent. Do you think it helped them? Uh, not entirely. Not, yes, I'm not entirely convinced by anything they had to say, but I'm fascinated to see Kane. Their, their promise to become a bit more transparent, a bit more open, Melbourne. It, it's something. I mean, I spoke to a few people. You know, I don't do the day-to-day sort of reporting with footy clubs anymore, but um, the belief that Melbourne's not as open as they could be, uh, and, and for them to admit that, I thought was a was a was a good take. So I, 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 they've got to walk. They've got to walk the walk now, Melbourne. They've sort of promised to be up more open. Let's see what happens. Mm. Certainly, the off-season, then. Once the season starts, lose a couple of games and when all the pressure comes to bear, uh, can they live up to it? Do you think they got together and, and had advice from a public relations point of view? Because we heard repeated phrases many, many times and isolated insulin, incidents, high-performing culture. Um, you know, the word culture was mentioned so many times. Um, you know, Minimum standards was another one that they referenced a lot in relation to Clayton Oliver. That was clearly a strategic uh, ploy to, to repeat those um, statements. Oh, they were absolutely well coached. If, if the interview took place last Sunday, I suspect they would have spent a lot of Saturday in with the uh, crisis management people or the PR people being coached as to every possible way to answer every possible question. There wouldn't have been anything that uh, Gary and Sam asked. I don't, don't think they would have been prepared for, certainly, and had some sort of answer for. But that's the way it goes. I mean, this was a, fa- this was a fairly uh, big step for them to take. They had to do it properly. 
Mm. All right, let's move on to the Clayton Oliver uh, piece. It was a, a smallish piece, but it was a great get from Channel 7 reporter Kate Massey. Have you got a thought on, on how she captured him and, and what did you make of what he had to say? Oh, I thought it was good on her for getting I thought some, I heard it was the second time she's managed to get uh, get hold of Clayton, who's, who doesn't, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of uh, media, so well done to her. I thought his answers were fairly, uh, fairly stock standard. Again, with everything, we'll wait to see what happens once they start training again, once the season gets underway. Um, clearly, what I thought was interesting, he's been put on notice to some degree by Melbourne. That was my biggest takeout of their statement that came out before the interview. Um, that clearly, that that set some standards for Clayton to meet, and uh, we wait to see whether he, he meets them. But uh, it does beg the question. I know you've spoken about this a few times, and a lot of people in footy have. You know, they they signed him to a massive contract extension, knowing that there are these uh, standards he wasn't meeting. So. That's the reason we haven't. That's the one question I guess we've still got is why did they sign to that contract when they when obviously they were concerned about it at the time? Yeah, it was strange. Um, I mean, he gave an explanation as to why he did end up in the hospital. Do you think he? I mean, it's always difficult to accuse someone of not telling the full truth. But do you think he gave the full truth? Whether he just said he, he's 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 got ADHD, he's been taking some medication, he got off the watt bike, he fainted earlier on in the day, and then similar happened later on. I mean, is that story believable? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give him better for doubt, Kane. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to speculate. It's very hard. But it's, you've got your suspicions. Well, yeah. I mean, the uh, the, the BS meter was uh, was raised mm. a little bit then, so uh, mm. we'll wait and see, hey? Which would be disappointing. I mean, if, you, if you're going to talk, um, let's talk honestly. And that was, I guess, my criticism out of Melbourne, and you've sort of said the same, that we're okay um, if you admit some vulnerability and you admit that you're not perfect. I think most... You know, supporters would understand that when you're managing 44 players who are on high income, they're famous, they have a lot of time off, there's going to be some problems. But Melbourne and by extension Clayton himself have sort of come out and said, no, no issue here. We're, we're almost flawless and it's the best it's ever been. And I'm just not, I'm just not buying yeah. that. I'd be, uh, putting, I'd be putting him up before the start of the season next year. If he's going reasonably... He's not well a great media performer. No, though. but you still should do it, I reckon. At some stage, I don't know, you find the right medium, whether it's... Uh, it's here with uh, one of the people on this station, or he does, you know, he does 360, or does something before the season. It, uh, I'd like to see him. Melbourne should put him up before the start of the season, and, and just uh, they're wedded to each other for another what is it, seven years, eight years, Kane? Yeah, so seven. They've got. Let's hear a bit more from him. All right, uh, let's move on to the book wars, which you've called it. Well, it's a book wars, but isn't it great that you've got uh, Trent Cotchin and Jack Rewalt bring up sort of their their life in football books at the same time and uh, the contrasting approach and you know Jack Rewald admitting that Trent Cotton's probably gone a bit harder in some respects with some of what he's uh, written in his books that what we've learned so far out of them has been really interesting so I actually want to buy both of them I'm I'm intrigued enough to want to go and spend a bit of money now and read both those books and and, and lift the lid on what was a brilliant era in football and two quite uh, different people in a lot of respects but who came together so well at, at a time when the footy club really needed them. Do you think the best of it has been already reported and you don't probably need to buy the, the books because largely the rest of it will be you know, pretty line and length sort of stuff and we, we know most of it. I think the most explosive things have probably been reported. That's why the newspapers would have purchased those extracts out of it. Yeah, often the best stuff is in, is in the extracts, but you do try, I'm having I've written a couple of books, you do try and save a couple of bits and pieces for people to actually take the trouble to go and buy it. Yeah. So, um, but uh, it was such a, I mean, the story, I mean, the honesty of both of them saying pretty much it's a story in two parts of both of them, isn't it? 20, whatever it was, to 2016 and then 2017 plus, And then the sort of explosive breakup with Damien Hardwick last year. So, yeah, I want to see how they both uh, tell those stories and, and other secrets from that great era.
if you'd only purchase one of them, which one would it be? I think Cochin, I suspect. I mean, I love Jack Rewald. He's just, he's just a ripping fella, but I suspect that uh, even from the, the way they went about it, but I, I think there might be a bit more of an edge to, to what Cochin has to say. I suspect a bit more honesty as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's move on to the AFLW because it's an exciting round. We've spoken about that already uh, this evening. Actually, throughout the week, we had Lauren Arnell from Port Adelaide on last night. She won't feature or her team won't feature in finals, but a lot of teams are in the mix to do so. Um, but what are the crowds suggesting? Because there is some certain triggers that they need to hit um, to meet some certain criteria. Take us through that. Well, they need 104,000 this weekend to get the trigger to get a 12th round next season. They're already committed to 11 under the CBA. They won't get that. There'll be a level of disappointment, I guess. What will they get? Oh, well, they're, only, they're getting between, what, two and four mm. most games. So they'll, over eight games, they'll fall. I'll fall well short, I think. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I haven't had a really close look at the match up the weekend. But upon expectation, or would they be disappointed by that figure across the home and away season? I think it'd be disappointed. I think they'd set themselves a target thinking they could probably get it, don't you? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But it's a, I mean, they're going to fall a fair way short. Yeah, I think... Look, they haven't been helped. I've heard you know, a lot of people saying you know, 5 o'clock Friday games aren't particularly ideal it's for the late afternoon games on a Friday not easy for people to get to same for 5 o'clock Sunday you know, families might go to an AFL men's game a twilight game a big deal but perhaps might be less inclined to go to an AFLW game late in the Sunday afternoon when it's a work day school day the next day um I'm sort of disappointed the home by season finishing I've sort of sort of started to get into it again a little bit after sort of having a bit of a break from watching footy Post the finals last weekend, I started to watch it again and sort of a bit disappointed that uh, the home and away season's finishing. But it should be a, mm. a truly good final series on the basis that it's such a keenly fought home and away season. But don't you feel 10 weeks doesn't feel quite long enough now for a, a footy season? Probably, probably not. Um, I mean, but they, I mean, they would be disappointed because it's been such a competitive season with so many teams still in the mix on the final day. Now, what happens if it's you know largely an uncompetitive season where, say, I don't know, seven or eight teams are ruled out? early on in the season, which happened last year. So I think that crowd figure is somewhat somewhat disappointing. Sydney, I guess, setting the standard for that and have been the benchmark. So there's some other teams that can learn from what they have done with their game day uh, activations. Big story over here in South Australia with Port Adelaide threatening or you know, confirming that they will be leaving the Sandful. Uh, we spoke to Michelangelo Rucci about this earlier on this evening and no one's followed the Port Adelaide Magpies closer than him for their existence. Uh, what did you make of it? Well, sounding and West Coast have been making similar noise as well. I mean, sorry, first break out of the West that uh, the Eagles were considering their uh, WAFL uh, involvement down the track. So it looks like this AFL men's uh, reserves competition, National League, is is taking shape. I mean, the AFL itself has been pretty quiet, but um, even though they've been, it's there's been a Port Adelaide presence in the AFL now for however long it's been, twenty seven, twenty eight years, whatever. It just looks to me as a Victorian to look upon the weekly results in the SANFL and one day not see a Port Adelaide there will be really jarring. And I'm wondering what it means for that competition not to have the presence of such a powerful club like Port Adelaide in it. Well, it's a huge blow. I mean, they've been the one constant. It'd be like having no Collingwood in the AFL to a lesser extent, but that's the importance of them in that competition now. Clearly, it's been a little bit different since Port Adelaide have had their own team in the sample. It used to be that the players that were drafted to Port Adelaide that didn't get an AFL game were just um, divvied up to the other Sandful clubs until and Port Adelaide Magpies stood on their own, and that then changed. But yeah, I mean it's a they, they're a big drawing crowd. They're the most famous club. They're the most successful club. So to remove them from the competition is a huge blow. And 
I think the Sample are, are talking a bold game that they'll be fine without them, but uh, I'm not so sure. And what it will do, a National Reserves competition for the other leagues around the country, is, is a little bit frightening, I would have thought. What is there still... The Sandfill still like the you know the water cooler discussion on Monday morning. People over there still talk about what happened in the Sandfill on the weekend or not really? Not is it great really. for the diehards now? Yeah, for the diehards. For the diehards. I mean, if your team is successful, like my team, Glenelg, won it this year and they haven't won a lot of premierships in their history, I think six. So it's a, it's a big moment for those Glenelg supporters. But do my kids follow it? Not really. Um, and how they're going to capture the younger generation is going to be a real challenge for them. So, yeah, it's largely the diehards that are rusted onto Nord and Sturt and Glenelg and, and Port Adelaide. What happens when they age and the new generation comes through and there's no Port Adelaide in it? I think it's a real concern um, for not only them, but also the AFL as well. Cause it's been a great feed of competition for, for a lot of great, of course, famous uh, AFL players. Let's move on to Glenn Maxwell because I uh, spoke about this off the top tonight. Um, it's right in my wheelhouse, Ash. <laughs> Daniel Cherney reported it first. And he's written a story saying this is very on brand with Glenn Maxwell. I can't believe that you would think it's a good idea. So forget the injury, right? Which I said off the top. Forget that he got knocked out and jumped off the back of a golf cart, was knocked off in the dark. Why would you think playing 36 holes of golf in the middle of a World Cup tournament when he is already on load management restrictions after he'd snapped his leg chasing a mate at his mate's party is a good idea. It can't be good at all physically if you're in the middle of a World Cup. I, well, I, I saw the same 30, thing. How long, 30, of golf. how long does 36 goals of hof, uh, holes of golf take? I, I would think, what, way. eight hours? Oh, yeah. You, even with a buggy, it's just fairly... Uh, even with golf carts, it's a fairly arduous way to spend a day. I know there's some... Apparently, this is their longest break between matches uh, at the World Cup, and you've got to be able to switch off a bit. And in a place like India, I would imagine that there's probably not too many places the players can escape to a golf course is probably a sanctuary I would think for an Australian cricketer during a World Cup but yeah I'm not quite sure about 36 holes of golf uh, at all and then stumbling around in the dark on the back of a golf cart afterwards it's uh, we've all got torchlights on our phones these days so you just if you have to walk it at least mm. in a few hundred metres back to the clubhouse, it's also uh, not... I imagine it's fairly well lit anyway. So I find the whole thing staring. It's the, the Glenn Maxwell file if I, you know the old age newspaper where I used to work that had bulging newspaper clipping files for certain athletes. I would have thought the Glenn Maxwell file would, be, uh, would be as thick as any cricketer going around with all the stuff that happens around him. Yeah, I just I respect the athletes that get everything that they've got out of their God-given ability. So the ones that squeeze everything that you've got, the ones that I go, oh, gee, waste, those that squander a bit of that talent. You can't tell me that Glenn Maxwell, as good as he's been, as rich as he is, as much as we love watching him play, has maximised his ability. And perhaps the latest two incidents off the field are an indication as to why. I mean, the guy's nearly 35 years of age. Like He's, he's been around forever and he's still making mistakes like this. I've said off the top, I can't imagine Novak Djokovic going to play 36 holes of golf in the middle of the Australian Open. That, that's akin to what they've done. It's hot over there. You're on your feet for over eight hours in the middle of a World Cup. Go and play nine holes. That's fine. Go, go to the driving range, whatever. 36 holes and then jumping on the back of a golf cart and concussing yourself and knocking yourself out. I, I can't believe some people are saying, no, they've got to have a life. This isn't a serious issue I, I think it is i'm sick of players acting like fools off the field and costing them and their teams uh what's this john adams story well it's um a brick story over in melbourne so john adams was a um a uh, a lawyer a suburban lawyer in melbourne up in ivanhoe but he had uh, 
who ran an investment fund that uh, a fair bit of money seems to have disappeared from. He passed away a few weeks ago. There's talks of a, some sort of Ponzi scheme. Uh, uh, several bookmakers have uh, lost their money. There's suggestion that a couple of prominent football identities might have uh, lost a fair bit of money as well. But it's just sort of a great Melbourne sports story came because it sort of got... It's, it's on the eve of the Spring Carnival. It involves mm. racing. It mm. involves football. John Adams was a figure involved in North Melbourne in the 80s. He was, uh, he was involved in the West Coast Eagles at start-up stage. He owned the name Australian Football League before there was Australian Football League, and the then VFL had to pay him a sum of money for the rights to the name Australian Football League. So he was a bit of an operator, I think, right. at the time. But it's just a wonderful story that um, people here are really following because it's got so many elements that we like. There's footy, there's racing, and there's there's a bit of uh, true crime. So uh, enjoying that. It's been really well reported by a couple and of leading journos here. Make a movie out of it or...? Well, it could well be a uh, well, it could TV be a doco series? or a, yeah. be a documentary, a podcast, or something. That it, it'll have more than just a, the, the, a written words to about it down the mm. track. Is there a more impressive football person than Don Pike? Like I'm looking at his appointment today as CEO of the West Coast Eagles, which is about the biggest job that anyone's got right now in football. Like to try and turn that club around with how far they have fallen from a once powerful club. 15 years of business experience. He's a very wealthy man. He was an assistant coach at the Eagles. He's a head coach at Adelaide, and his win-loss record is excellent. He then went to Sydney and redesigned their ball movement and their offensive play with great success, and now he's a CEO. Like, this guy could do it all. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a wonderful CV, and he's pretty much, I guess, because he's made a fair bit of money away from footy, he could pick and choose what he wanted to do in life. So he coached not because, he coached because that's something he wanted to do, and he just relocated to Sydney, which is not, you know, Sydney have usually have trouble attracting people because the cost of living can be difficult for an assistant coach, but it was no problems for him. You're right. And to step, if you look at it in, in isolation, going from sort of an assistant coach at the Swans to chief executive at one club to the chief executive of another club is, is remarkable. But once you know the story, he really is probably an excellent fit. Uh, the statement, I haven't seen the press conference, Kane, but the statement was interesting. Clearly he's going in, there are some CEOs who don't touch football at all. But I think he's going in as a CEO who's going to have his fingerprints all over the football side of things because really that's a one part of that football club that's failing, isn't it? Mm. He was quite scathing on the media coverage of him and the Adelaide Football Club when he did decide to leave the Crows. And essentially he said that was one of the reasons why and, and the industry's got to be better about the scrutiny that he's on clubs and players and coaches. No one is going to be under more scrutiny than the Perth media and we've seen that this year. Like how many clever front pages but brutal front pages has the West Australian created uh, targeting the Eagles they had their own journal that follows Adam Simpson around and asks him really difficult questions after every post match and Simpson hated that and, and blew up a couple of times at him how do you feel Don will be equipped to handle the media coverage that you know, I mean, there's, there's no tougher uh, group of media pack than those that follow the Eagles in Perth yeah if, if he did have a weakness as coach he wasn't particularly great in front of a no. camera was he Don Pike so I think that's going to be the uh, challenging thing for him but it's, he's gone for, in his previous time at West Coast uh, Adam Simpson was his boss and he's now the boss of Adam Simpson so the dynamics as well as, in that football club are, are quite remarkable but it's a he's a great West Coast person I think it's a, a good appointment but yeah you're right the media side of things will be fascinating watch over the next uh, 12 months there they, 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 there's a lot going on at that footy club Harley Reid is the uh, you know, that's the, the very short term question about what they're going to do ahead of the draft my strong belief now is they're going to take him um, mm. I think there's a belief that 
we're the West Coast Eagles and we sh don't do these sort of deals, you know, we'll, we'll bring him here and we'll, we'll make him a great uh, West Coast footballer. So, such an interesting footy club now. All right, and we've got a celebrity romance. Yeah, Nathan Cleary and Mary Fowler. That's the, uh, I don't know if they're quite um, at the, uh, the, the Travis Kelsey, uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift yeah. uh, side of things yet, but uh, no, they're sort of a confirmed public couple now. So, uh, we wish them well. I mean, both sort of the big faces in their sport, aren't they? I mean, she'll be the next... Uh, She'll be the next Sam Kerr in, in women's football, and uh, he's just a superstar. He won the he won the grand final for Penrith uh, with a with a magnificent performance. So uh, we wish them well. We look to see how it goes, and good luck uh, trying to keep it all going in the spotlight. All right. Before we let you go, we can't depart without you giving us your like of the week. Well, I want to wish a happy birthday as my like to the MCC Library, 150 years old, the greatest uh, resource for. A journalist such as myself went to their uh, lunch in the long room yesterday and it was a terrific event with Gian Haig and Mike Coward speaking. But I just wanted to say well done to all the people at the MCC Library who've made my life so much easier in researching stories, particularly for things like the grand final record. And if you've never been to the MCC Library and you're into sport, Kane, have you ever been? Uh, yes, but a long time ago. I would have been, you know, 18 years of age, I reckon. When yeah. I Take the, do yourself a favour if you've got time to go there now. Someone like you, um, I've got to know mm. you quite well, you would absolutely... Love it. There's the, the, what they've got available for the sports fan to, to read and to learn is incredible. So well done to those guys. How good. We'll check that out. What about your dislike? Well, dislike, I think, is FIFA giving the World Cup to uh, Saudi Arabia in 2034. Pretty much an uncontested race. Football Australia considered it very briefly, but uh, saw the writing on the wall. But uh, a little bit disappointing there wasn't a more competitive bid and that um, Australia didn't at least think hard about lodging a bid just to make it some sort of competition. Mm, all right, and let's get to this. Now on Sports Day, it's time for the all-powerful, all-conquering Shastri Files. Is that fair? Oh, that's bullshit. What do you got? Well, back to our earlier story, Kane. There can only be one a bit of Shastri for this week. And I've got to say, I've, I've been in the game now for 40 years. Our, our culture at the club, our men and women's programs, is the best I've seen in 40 years. And that's because of the people, the leadership, um, the the clarity and strength and resilience of that culture. So these behavioural issues will be held to account by those leaders because everyone's so clear on the standards of disciplines and expectations. Yeah, I'll leave that mm. there, Kane. Mm. I think that's uh, all that needs to be said. I think <laughs> Gary did a pretty good job of uh, pushing back on that one. Ash, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, Kane. Look forward to it. Ash Brown live in the studio. There it is. Time now for a surf weather update. Thanks to Urban Surf, Australia's first surf park serving perfect wave daily. There is something for everyone. You can book now for spring. Pour to fair waves of one to two feet down at Torquay tomorrow. Now, that's just about it for the show tonight. But before we go, let's get the latest odds with our man, Jared Daffy.